0: Good morning and welcome again to Trinity Heights Church. Thank you for joining us for worship this morning. Today we're starting a new series in 1 Corinthians, Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth. And I wanted to begin by sort of thinking through Paul's relationship to this church. You know when you arrive in a new city to start a new job, there's this mixture of excitement and trepidation. Uh, You have so many unanswered questions, you might wonder, Have I made the right move? Can I even do this new job? Will I get on with my new colleagues? What will my new boss be like? Will the commute be too much? What about the cost of living? Oh, you did the math before you moved here, but uh, will the numbers really add up? These are the kinds of questions you ask every time you move to a new place and start all over again. Julia and I had similar questions when we moved to the city to plant a new church. We came to New York City in December of 2014 with our own long list of questions, which included some that I just mentioned and perhaps some more specific to church planting. What if no one's interested? What if we can't gather a core? What if we don't really know how to message in a way that resonates with our neighborhood? What if our funding runs out? Where are we going to meet? Who's going to lead worship? Who will build our website? Who will our leaders be? And, And so on and so forth. Looking back, we're incredibly grateful to God and to our friends that uh, we have answers to those questions now. And this congregation, which didn't exist before, has emerged in this neighborhood. Now, with all this in mind, we turn to the Apostle Paul. Paul went around the Roman world planting churches. Sometimes he would start a church, and in just a matter of months, he would move on to the next church, to plant the next church. And I think about all the questions that we face, that you, that you and I ask whenever we start over, the emotional energy it takes to move to a new city, to start a new job or to, or to plant a new church. Paul must have had his own running list of questions, which probably included some of the questions that you and I ask ourselves. And each time he moved, there must have been that moment when he walked into a new city, say a busy trading center like Corinth, took a deep breath and thought, Okay, here we go again. I bring all this up because, as I said, we're starting a series in 1 Corinthians. And perhaps it's an appropriate time to consider this particular letter, which Paul wrote about three to four years after the church's founding, seeing as it's about as long as Trinity Heights has been having public services. The Corinthian church was roughly the same age that we are now as a congregation. And I thought it might help us connect at an emotional level with this letter if we understand the relationship Paul had with the Corinthians. I often find myself more invested in TV shows when I not only care about the individual characters, but I also care about the relationships between them. And one way to appreciate Paul's relationship to the Corinthians would be in terms of the personal investment he had made in the life of this congregation. Paul didn't plant all the churches he writes to, but he was certainly the founder of the Christian community in Corinth, and Paul makes mention of this several times in in, a, in this letter. In, in chapter three, he talks about having planted the church. Uh, in verse ten, he talks in chapter three and verse ten. He talks about having laid its foundation. In chapter four, he even talks about it in terms of having fathered the congregation. A couple of millennia later, we might read a phrase like that with deep suspicion and say, oh, that's too paternalistic. But but if we take off our 21st century glasses for a moment, I can't take these off because I can't see otherwise. But if we take off our 21st century glasses for a second, we might see that given how this congregation came about, it's actually a very appropriate expression of love and affection. The Apostle Paul had spent about 18 months of his life starting the Corinthian church. We we can read about that in, in Acts chapter 18. And if you and I can become emotionally invested in a cast of fictional TV characters in their fictional relationships in just one season, well, Paul had become emotionally invested in these real people and their real relationships. He cared about this community, which he'd been responsible for gathering in the first place. And with that in mind, We must try to imagine what it was like for him to hear about the troubles which the Corinthian church was facing. News had reached Paul that some very ugly divisions had emerged in the church. There were divisions over moral conduct with various forms of sexual immorality. There were legal disputes where church members were taking other church members to court and suing each other. There were class divisions where the poor were being humiliated by the rich. There were divisions about, around the cult of personality where some people were attaching some sort of status to themselves because they followed certain leaders. And there was a sort of spiritual class system emerging uh, where the division was between those who practiced certain spiritual gifts and those who didn't. Think about your own investment in your own endeavors and multiply that. Given the investment of himself in the life of these people, Paul couldn't take this news lying down, as it were. He, he's, he's going to go to them eventually. And in fact, in the final chapter, Paul speaks about coming to visit them. And he says rather tellingly, I do not want to see you in passing only in passing. In other words, Paul realizes a longer visit will be required to sort out all of the problems going on in this church. And so this letter is, in a sense, a stopgap measure until Paul can show up and get there to deal with these divisions in greater depth. I'm sure the Corinthian Christians of Paul's day would have preferred that their correspondence was not broadcast to the ages. But fortunately for us, the letter was preserved, widely circulated, and ultimately canonize as part of the New Testament. And, and so we have the privilege, if you like, of glimpsing into one particular very tension-filled moment in the life of that first generation of the Christian movement. W- would this congregation get over these divisions or will it crumble around the numerous fractures that had appeared? Have you ever got lost on a journey? You get to a crossroads, and you have no idea which road to take. Well, that's exactly where this congregation in Corinth had arrived. As many of you know, I don't have a very good sense of direction, which is why I'm grateful that New York is, is sort of gridded, right, that, that, that really helps me. It's, it's easier for me than the winding streets of London where it's really easy for someone like myself with no sense of direction to get thoroughly lost. Julia, on the other hand, has this great sense of direction. She knows how to navigate her way around places that we've never even been before. She, she says, turn left here, turn right there, and, and somehow we end up where we want to go. I don't know how that works, but it just does. And, and to me, it's like some sort of magic. And, I, and I've asked her, how, how do you do this? And, and she asks me, well, can't you see it in your head? And I'll see, see what in my head. And she says, you know, it's sort of a plan view of the city, a a map which you're looking down on from several thousand feet. And of course I don't have one of those. Where where do you get one of those? But apparently that's what she's got in her head. Most places we go. So I, I can only see what's in front of me, but Julia can see the big picture. Now, of course you can stop and ask for directions and uh, when i get lost in somewhere like london the, the the brits are actually quite good at giving directions even if they do start out by saying things like oh well you can't get there from here or, or you should have left yesterday uh, and, and other similarly very helpful comments but, but getting those directions helps me find my way out of the immediate mess but because i don't have one of those maps that julia apparently has in her head i'm liable to get lost again but that's essentially the difference between Paul and the Corinthian church. They've lost their way, taken numerous wrong turns, and with every wrong turn they make, they just become more and more lost. And, and while Paul could, could of course just come along and provide a list of directions, turn left here, turn right, next to, right after the post office, he can tell them where they've gone wrong. He can see it, you shouldn't have done this, you ought not to have done that. Here's what you should have done instead. He could give moral instructions and he does give moral instructions. He he mediates some of their disputes, but he knows if that's all he does, they're liable to get lost again in their next leg of the journey. Just as an aside, do you tend to think of Christianity as a list of instructions, perhaps a list of moral do's and don'ts, a list of directions in that sense? I think that can be helpful for specific situations, but in the long run, we might need something more. Or do you have a sense that Christian faith could help you map out, not not just your own personal experience, but the human experience? Because Paul has a map in his head. It's a theological map or another way of saying it, it is the map of the whole Christian story. He knows how each piece of that story fits together and he knows how to read this map because he knows how each part of the map actually corresponds to the massive terrain of life and and how it might be overlaid onto the specifics of their lives in this big commercial center that is Corinth. And Paul knows that if the Corinthians familiarize themselves with the map, they will be able to find their way out of this mess and They'll be able to stay on course. They'll, they'll prevent themselves getting lost later on. It's like Paul is picking them up out of their parochial lives and petty squabbling so that can have the view from 50,000 feet. And in doing so, get swept up into this massive cosmic drama. And so Paul is going to draw them a map. And yes, it does actually come with one of those red arrows that says, you are here. And so Paul's going to tell them, look, first of all, you are a people called into a special relationship with God. Second, you're a people called into a special relationship with each other. And third, you are a people living at a special moment in history. They're in a special relationship with God because they are sanctified. They're a people set apart. God's workmanship, God's field, God's building, God's temple, God's people to reference some of the metaphors that Paul uses throughout this letter. They're in special relationship to each other because they're located in the body of Christ, connected to each other in the local congregation, and that local congregation is connected to this growing movement that may very well have been quite small at the time, but Paul believed was going to grow like a mustard seed and supplant everything. And they're living in a special time, They're living in an unfolding history which has reached an apocalyptic moment where things would never be the same, where the power and wisdom of God has confronted the power and wisdom of this world, and everything was now going to be rearranged. The wise and the proud, the strong and the powerful would change places with the foolish and humble, the weak and the meek. Well, this is the rough map, and we'll look at each of those areas in greater detail in the coming weeks. But this is how Paul is going to help this church, which has got so badly lost. So I want to leave you with these questions to think about. At the beginning of this message, we try to connect emotionally with this letter by thinking about the investment Paul made in the lives of his friends at Corinth, relating that to the sort of investments we make every time we pick up and move somewhere else and begin a new life and begin a new project implanting this new congregation and what would it be like for him to to then receive the news having having invested himself to plant this church what would it be like to receive the news that these friends were all at each other's throats people he cared about people he loved now i want to try again to put ourselves in paul's shoes imagine that you're going to put pen to paper you want to draw them a map so that they can not only find their way out of the mess they're in, but avoid getting lost like this in the future. I have given a rough outline of the map earlier, but how would you fill out the details? How would you start drawing this map for a community of people you loved and cared about deeply?